0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Well, it was the summer of 1879, and it was a blistering hot summer day in Washington, D.C. A 26-year-old named Winthrop Crane had made his way from the New England area down to Washington, D.C. because it was a very important day in his life, his family's life, and in the company in which he ran Crane Currency's Life. For about 80 years up until that point, um, the f- company that was started by his grandfather had been printing Or, pardon me, had been manufacturing paper for currency in this new world. They were making currency for um, the Continental uh, Army. They were making currency for the newly found um, Union. And soon they realized, the government, that we need to open up the bidding for paper manufacturing for our currency. And let's do that on this summer day in 1879. So Winthrop Crane made his way down there and Just as hot as the temperature was, the competition was hot, too. People wanted this contract to manufacture the currency paper. So bad that his competitors locked him in his hotel room in hopes that he would miss the deadline of submitting his proposal and his paper samples so that he wouldn't get the contract and maybe somebody else would. Well, lucky for him in those days, they didn't have air conditioning. You might be wondering why I'm saying he's lucky. Well, the way they cooled their rooms back then was windows on the outside wall and they would utilize a transom window above the door to get some kind of airflow on those terribly hot days. Well, when he realized his door was locked and he couldn't get out, he didn't know what he was going to do. And he looked up at that transom window, got a chair, squeezed his body through sideways through the transom window, made it out, and made it just in time to submit his proposal for uh, the paper manufacturing for the currency the other thing that he did was he looked at uh, up until this point it was a great business his family was making money they were able to support a lot of different employees but he realized to keep this contractor to earn this contract again he was going to have to cut his margins to razor thin levels and on that day Winthrop crane took his margins as low as they could go sacrificed his body, and crawled out the window and ran, submitted the proposal, and Crane Currency won the contract for paper manufacturing for the U.N.'s currency, a contract they held for 140 years as the sole contractor for this business. In fact, that company that he started stayed in the family all the way until 2017 when they sold it to their employees. And then two years later, that company just recently was bought out by a bigger company. But up until that point, that family held that contract. Now, here's what I'm bringing this story up for. Do you think 26-year-old Winthrop in 1879 was thinking about his great-great-grandson who would be running the company in 2016? Maybe. But the decisions he made that day... The sacrifices he made, the margins that went thinner and thinner just to earn that business to make sure that he could have that business, blessed his family for hundreds of years and continues to bless them today. I want to be a person like Winthrop. I want to do what it takes to make decisions today that have positive, impactful Great contributions for generations to come. I want to think about generations that I will never meet, that will be blessed by our faithfulness today. So, for that reason, today is that kind of day for us. In just a few moments, one of our elders, Rick, is going to stand up and he's going to share with you some of the beginning fruits of the collective labor that you and I as a body here have been doing in our prayer, asking God to show us what He wants us to do and who He wants us to be here in this place. We've held meetings to get some feedback. We've been praying personally and forcefully as a body of believers for the last 80-some days. We've had hope. We've had faith. And God has brought together some plans that we wish to share with you here in just a few moments. But before we do, I brought you to the story of Nehemiah for this reason. Nehemiah is a great character when you really want to look into what it's like to be praying and coming together with some plans to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Nehemiah was a man who had a heart for God's glory. He wanted God's city, Jerusalem, to be rebuilt the way it should be. He wanted God's people that were dispersed all over the known world to be collected again to the same place. He wanted the name of God to be honored among the nations. He despised the fact that when people thought about the name of God, they didn't revere that name. Nehemiah read scripture. He knew what God did to bring Israel out of Egypt. He knew what God did to establish Israel in the land of Canaan. He knew the great and mighty work that God did through David and through Solomon as the kingdom expanded. He had read about those things, although he himself had never experienced it. Nehemiah found himself with a deep longing, a deep desire for his present reality to match the glory that he saw in Scripture. And I put that before you as something that should be on our hearts and minds as well. That when we read, maybe not the Old Testament, but the book of Acts and the letters in the New Testament, when the Bible reveals to us what the church looked like, that we should have a yearning, a longing to be the kind of people that are reflected in Scripture. Nehemiah was that kind of man. We share that desire. We want to be everything God describes his church being in Scripture. And so this morning I want to quickly learn from Nehemiah. He did two things, two things in particular, to be ready to let God work through him in his life. And the first thing he did was he prayed. You notice there when the report came back, Nehemiah was a man who was a cupbearer for the king in Susa. He wasn't uh, living in Jerusalem, so he asked his brothers and some, his brother and some of their comrades, "What's going on in Jerusalem?" And they got the report that the temple had started to be built and it was probably close to being done. But the city walls were destroyed, the gates were torn down, and that was the that was the statement to the rest of the world that your city was established and it was secure. And that hurt Nehemiah. He was weeping over it. And the very first thing he did in verse 4 was he began to pray. He began to pray. You see, when God's people pray, here's what he wants from them. And I want you to read a few verses with me about Nehemiah's prayer to see how we should be praying. First of all, when God's people, when God's people pray, he wants them to be excited, excited about God's character. Listen to verse 5. Here's how Nehemiah prayed. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, confessing sins of the people of Israel. We have sinned against you. Even I have. Do you hear what Nehemiah is doing here? He's saying, God, I'm praying, not because just I'm scared or worried or upset. I'm praying because I'm excited about who you are. You are great, and you are awesome. You are a God who keeps his word. When you say something, you're going to do that thing. God, you are faithful, and you are trustworthy. You are a God who is active. You listen, and you watch. And God, you are merciful. That's why Nehemiah is able to confess his sin and the sin of the nation. God, your character is good. So Nehemiah approaches God in prayer, first of all, not just because he's stirred up because he doesn't like something. He approaches God because he's excited and trusting in the character of who God is. Do you pray that way? When you bring your burdens to God, are you bringing them with anticipation, full of faith, hopeful, that God, I know the kind of God that you are, that you are good and merciful, great and awesome, and I'm bringing this to you because I trust you to be who you say you are. When God's people pray, he wants them to be excited about their, his character. He also wants us to be established in really firm, unshakable principles. Look in verses 8 and 9, what he says here. There's a phrase there at the beginning, Nehemiah says. He says, God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples.'" But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Do you see what he's saying? Nehemiah says, God, I want you to remember the word you said. The impetus for Nehemiah's prayer was asking God to do what God had already said he was going to do. Nehemiah was rooted in the principles of God. He was spending time in scripture. He was burdened by the problem in Jerusalem, not just because it hurt his pride, but because it was violating the word of God. God had said, I'll scatter you if you're unfaithful, but if you return to me, I'll bring you back. I'll establish a place and I'll make my name great there. Nehemiah was established and the firm principles of who God said he was and what God said he would do. Nehemiah approached God in prayer simply asking him to do what he said he would do. So he wants us to be excited because of God's character. He wants us to be established in our firm principles that we learn from Scripture. But when we approach God in prayer, he also wants us to be expecting some fresh initiatives. You see, God's word that nehemiah read probably in deuteronomy and leviticus and some other places that it spoke about if you're unfaithful i'll scatter you but if you return to me i'll bring you back god's word told him explicitly what was going to happen but it didn't tell him how nehemiah had no idea that he would be living in susa he had no idea that he would be a cupbearer for the king Nehemiah had no idea that he would actually himself be involved. The name Nehemiah is not mentioned in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus and other places. It's not there. But when he sees it in Scripture, there's something percolating, there's something burdening Nehemiah's heart. And so he asks God in verses 11 and 12 for success and for mercy. Listen to this in verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. To the prayer of your servants who delight and fear in your name. And give success to your servant. And grant him mercy. You see, he was asking God, listen, I need your help. I need this to go well because without you it's not going to go well. And I need your mercy because I am going to fall short. He was ready for God to show him what to do. You see, Nehemiah wasn't sure. Pardon me. Nehemiah was sure. Of what God wanted. He wanted his people back in Jerusalem, but he was unsure of how that was going to take place. And so because of that, he prayed. Do you see that? I want to share in that spirit with you today. I am so excited about the character of God. I'm so enthralled by who he is. He is the most faith-filled Loving, trustworthy, steadfast, truthful being that has ever existed. And he has promised certain things that I can, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be sure of. For example, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I hope you will, did he? He didn't say, yeah, you'll do a pretty good job, then you'll mess up, then you'll do better, then you'll mess up, and I don't know, it's going to go all right. Jesus said explicitly, I will build my church. Now what I'm excited about is that I want us to not fade into just routine, lifeless, pretending to do church. I want us to be available to partner with what Jesus is going to do when he says he's going to build his church. So we're excited about God's character. We are certain about his principles, but we're asking him to show us in Pickerington in 2019, what does that mean for us to do that here in this place? And so we've prayed, we've asked you to be praying every day for us here in this place. And we've trusted God to work and we've learned from Nehemiah that when you're faithful and you pray, God will lead you to action. But before there's action, you've got to have some good planning. So let's learn also about the planning. If you go to chapter 2, Nehemiah shows us what it's like to really be, guy, be men and women of God who plan. You see, when God's people plan, if you look down in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it shows up four months later. This is four months after Nehemiah's prayed. So we pray for three months. Nehemiah prayed for four. Maybe we should extend it another 30 days. He prayed for four months. God, what do we do? God, show me. God, lead me. God, I want to do your will. And he's he's there as a cupbearer, and he goes before the king, and he's never been sad. And the king says, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? And Nehemiah says in verse 3, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now look in verse 4. Because nothing's happened yet. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Okay, here's the light bulb for Nehemiah. Praying, praying, praying. The king, out of nowhere, finally asks him, hey, what's going on with you? This was not normal behavior for a king. He could care less if Nehemiah's happy or sad. He just wants his cup brought to him, right? He's the king. He's running his nation. He doesn't care. But all of a sudden he goes, Nehemiah, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nehemiah goes, uh, I'm kind of upset because my home city where my fathers lie in their graves, it's in ruins. What's he expecting from the king? Nothing. And the king goes, well, what do you want? Uh Uh-oh. He better be ready, huh? Look what he does in verse 4. Pardon me. uh, Yeah, at the end of verse 4. He says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, verse 5, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. When God's people plan, he wants them, first of all, to be personally committed Notice what Nehemiah says. Hey, can you send your army and your engineers and your equipment and go fix my city? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, will you let me go because I'm going to do it. There's an I will spirit in Nehemiah. Look down in verse 6. Secondly, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. When God's people plan, he doesn't just want them personally committed. He wants them thoughtfully prepared. The king wanted to know, how long is it going to take? So that means Nehemiah had to be thinking about this, had to be prepared because the king wasn't pleased to send him until Nehemiah reported back and said, hey, listen, it's going to take me X amount of months or days or years, whatever, and here's what it's going to take for me to do it, and then I'll be back. Nehemiah was thoughtfully prepared. He didn't just say, I really want to do this. Trust me, I'll be right back. He was a man who gave thought to this and attention. So when God's people plan, he wants them to be personally committed, thoughtfully prepared. But look in verses 7 and 8, one last thing. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah... And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress and the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted to me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. When God's people plan, he wants them to be humbly courageous. How courageous was Nehemiah to say, hey, Can you tell all the neighboring uh, rulers to let me go through? And will you give me some materials to do this? His life's on the line. And he just got permission to leave to go back and work on his home city. And then he goes, "Uh, hey, while we're at it, can you give me some money and some power and some resources? And the king goes, yeah, I'll do that. Because the good hand of God was on him. To carry out the plans of God, we have to have personal commitment. We've got to be thoughtful in our plannings, meaning we can't just be careless and just come up with ideas on our own and just go to town with them. We've got to be thoughtful about it. And Rick's going to share some of those plans, and we ask you and encourage you to ask questions, to learn about them, to be thoughtful with us. But it takes serious, humble courage to get done what God has called us to do. As I said, Jesus has told us, I will build my church. And there is no doubt that Jesus is going to build his church. He has invited us to join him in that process when he told us to go out into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to learn and obey all that I have told them. We don't want to be just playing church while Jesus goes about doing it some other place. Jesus said he's going to build his church, and it takes serious prayer And serious planning. How do we know this? Because for Jesus himself to give birth to this church took serious prayer and serious planning in his own life. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit put this plan together before the foundation of the world. It was serious planning. Jesus coming to earth to establish a church was not plan B. It wasn't just off the cuff. They knew from the foundation of the world this is what they're going to do. They were thoughtful planners. And Jesus took prayer seriously. It took serious, fervent prayer for Jesus to be ready to do this. Over and over in his life, you see this man praying. At the very last of his life, he's in the garden begging God and praying. But ultimately, that man had humility and courage to walk through what he had to walk through, to do what he had to do to bless his generation and generations to come. And he's calling us to be a part of what he's doing. He's calling us to be part of his body. The greatest place in heaven on earth. Inside Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Christ, that's our first petition to you. Be in Jesus Christ. Walk with him. Trust him. Don't trust yourself. Live for him and I promise it's going to go well. But then if you're in Jesus Christ, let's partner with him. Let's walk with him. Let's be faith filled Believers, if you're not that, won't you come as we stand and we sing this song?